Today, today, we get to end uh, this series on drift, and I think it's going to be one that's going to touch your heart, and I hope help you in, in your mind and understand some things about God tonight that I want to be able to share. Now, I want you to think of something. We'll just start out this way. I want you to think as if, kind of envision this, that I have a two by ten board right here, Okay. And I thought about this too later, I went and got one, okay? But just pretend that I did. So two by 10 board, you know, two inches thick, 10 inches wide. Um, let's just say it's about 10 foot long, okay? So I got this board right here. And let's say that I, I put it on a couple of concrete blocks and I put that on, on the blocks and then I start picking up 50 pound sandbags and I put them right in the middle of that board. And the question is how many sandbags are we going to put on that board before that board just snaps right in half? How many is it going to take? Now, I don't know the answer to that, but we're going to assume it's four, okay? So you put the fourth bag on there, uh, four bags times 50, any Einstein's in the room, 200 pounds, okay? And let's just say at four bags, the board snaps right in half. So it takes four bags. Now, let's say this. Let's say we take that board and uh, we put, put it down there, and uh, so we got this two by 10 board, 10 foot long, and let's say we take an identical two by 10 board, and we put it right on top, so we got, we got two boards like that, and we start bringing bags, 50 pound, put them in the middle there to see how many it's gonna take before it snaps. And so how many bags is it gonna take? Now, now it's just simple math, okay, one board was four bags, and so you would think that we got two boards now, so eight bags, which is 400 pounds, so the eighth bag and snap, that's what you think. But that's not true. I actually saw this demonstrated one time and I was amazed at it. I don't know the exact number. Um, I actually thought about doing that, but after moving all those bags, I wouldn't have any power to preach, so I didn't do that. The reality is that it might take as many as 12 or 16 bags before those boards snap. Now, why is that? The reason for that is old, old buddy Aristotle told us the reason, and most of all, we're sleeping in philosophy class, so you missed it, but he said, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And so what we know is that there is a strength in those two boards when they are put together that is more powerful than if they were kept apart alone. And we're gonna learn that in this lesson and it's gonna have a whole lot to do with if you have a desire for your faith in God to be strong all the way to the end of your life. If, if you desire that, if you want that, then you must learn the lesson of those two boards. That when they are together, they are massively stronger than if they are apart. Now, that's going to come up as we kind of wind down this series that we've been talking about with spiritual drift. I know a lot of people in the room, you've been with us over this last month, and, and if this is your first time for a few weeks, 
Uh, spiritual drift is this concept that we all deal with. Everybody deals with it, including me. And it's that day you kind of wake up and realize, man, where I, where I used to be with God, where I was with God, and where I'm at today, man, I am just not where I used to be. I have drifted away from that. And we've been spending a month here talking about spiritual drift, and everybody's susceptible to that. We've kind of defined it this way. You've seen this, so look at this one more time. It happens very slowly, not an overnight deal. Most times you don't even realize it's happened, and it's this movement away from a healthy relationship with God. And so what we've been talking about is how can you prevent that? And, and there, are, there are folks in the room right now, and there's folks online with us. We're thrilled that you're online with us, but you're listening to this, and you're realizing, dude, that's where I'm at. That's exactly where I'm at. And so what we have been proposing throughout this month, that if, if you want to prevent that from happening, or if you need to correct it from happening, then the answer is to attach yourself to some very strong anchors in your life that you make sure that you are connected to those anchors. So everybody's heard that for a month now. You, you're all with me with that, that those anchors are a key. And when you detached from these anchors, if those anchors are not in your life, then the reality is you're gonna drift. You're gonna drift. And I want you to hear my heart about this. I've been... Man, I've been pouring out everything I got for a month on this stuff, but I, I want you to hear my heart. I want to open up and be transparent about these anchors. I want to say this. I want to say it one more time. I want you to hear me on this. There's a guy by the name of John Maxwell who wrote a book. It's been about 25 years now, and there are people in this room who've studied through it. And, and the title of his book was The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Incredible book. And what Maxwell taught is if you want to be a leader in your house or you want to be a leader where you work, you want to be a leader in the community, you want to be a leader in the church, you want to be somebody who leads something, then what Maxwell uh, attains is that there are 21 laws, they are irrefutable, which means it is impossible to argue against them. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you like the laws, whether you agree with the laws, they are always Right, and if you're going to be a leader, you gotta, you got to abide by those. So they're irrefutable. It's like the law of gravity, okay? You can say, well, I don't like the law of gravity. I don't even agree with the law of gravity. Well, get up on a building, skyscraper, and jump down and see what you think about the law of gravity. You're going to be a pancake, okay? It's irrefutable. And so Maxwell said there are irrefutable laws about leadership. Now, here's why I say that. I want you to hear me. I want to just share my heart before I jump into this. The anchors that we have been talking about are irrefutable. If I went over the last three weeks, I would say to you that all these anchors we've been talking about, they are irrefutable. It doesn't matter whether you like them. It doesn't even matter if you agree with them. None of that matters. They are true. And if you attach yourself to those anchors, then you are greatly greatly more empowered to stay with God. But if those anchors are not in your life, and we've done this all month, we've done this where we've said, you know, I don't know if that anchor's in my life. It is irrefutable. You will drift. You will drift. 
So we're, we're not arguing about it. We're just saying, man, that, this is the way it is. And so for three weeks is what we've looked at. We've looked at the anchor of truth, the anchor of the gospel, and the anchor of worship. And those are irrefutable. They just are. You got them, you're going to be okay. You don't have those in your life, you're going to drift every single time. Now, today we kind of wrap it up. We kind of close it out this weekend with an anchor that you might not even consider. You might not even have thought of this as being important that God has said, this has to be in your life, gang, irrefutable, got to be in your life. And it is the anchor of family. And so we're going to end with this idea of being anchored to family. And it's important that you know what I mean when I say family, because what I'm talking about is God's family. I'm talking about living in relationship with other Christian people. I want you to hear that. Everyone in here who knows Jesus and walks with Jesus, we are all boards. Every one of us is a board. And if you live all your Christian life without relationship with the other boards, without connection to Christian friends and Christian relationships in your life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to drift every single time. Because God has designed it that we do this faith thing together. And when we do it together, there is a strength that exceeds the sum of all of us. So I want to spend a little bit of time and I want to talk about the relationships that we have in our life because it is critical that you have Christian friends. It is critical. It is incredibly important that you have Christians whom you have great relationships with and because of those relationships, you're strengthened in the faith. And if you're trying to do this alone, then you're always going to drift. There's a place in the Bible that has a beautiful thought behind it. I want to read it for you real quick. I'm not going to put it on the screen. just want you to hear it. It's from the Proverbs, these beautiful bits of wisdom. And then the New International Version, it reads like this. A righteous man is cautious in friendship. What's that mean? I love the way the new uh, King James Version translates it. It says it this way. Listen to this real carefully. It says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. Anybody ever hear that? It's in the Bible. And the reason it's in the Bible is because God says it is really important that you have the right kind of relationships in your life. And so I just want to talk about some of those. I want to talk about the different relationships that we tend to get involved with in our life. And some of these relationships can cause you to drift and some of these relationships can strengthen you. Let me throw this one out for you. I want you to hear this one. I want to talk to you about harmful relationships. I want to deal with this a little bit. And those are those toxic relationships that we get into once in a while that take us to a place of damage and ruin in our life. And I don't want to spend all our time on that because that's the opposite of what we're going to teach about, but I want to deal with it because the Bible talks about it. And every parent in this room knows what I'm talking about. Every parent in this room knows what I'm talking about. What parents have, have never looked at your child and said, you're not hanging around him? Huh? 
Anybody? Okay. You are not going with her. You're not going to do it. Okay. My kids used to give me the guilt trip because I was a preacher, you know, they're a preacher kid. And I'd say that and say, dad, doesn't Jesus love everybody? Doesn't Jesus, everybody love everybody? And I'd say to him, when you get in Jesus' house, you can do what you want. Love my house, you are not hanging out with them. Okay. We all know what that's like. Every parent understands that. Then how come we parents don't apply it to ourselves? How come we don't bring it in here? Uh, somebody once said, you can't fly with eagles if you're running with turkeys. But some of y'all got turkeys in your life, okay? And it's interesting that the Bible has some very specific things to say about that if you have harmful relationships in your life. And I want you to hear some of this. And again, this is not the point that I want us to walk out of here with, but I want you to see the Bible talks about how important it is that you got the right kind of relationships, okay? So the, the opposite of that is, is you probably ought to be careful about the wrong relationships. Let me show you a few places in the Bible that I think are just kind of wow places. Watch, watch this. Don't put it up here yet. I just want to give you a wow moment. Is it, was it up there? Oh, man. Okay, they took it off, so we're cool. Okay, watch. The book of Psalms. Biggest book in the whole doggone Bible, okay? The biggest book there is, okay? Everybody knows the Psalms, all right? We all know it. Did you ever know what chapter one, verse one of the Psalm says? I mean, the very first thing that this big, beautiful, you, you know what, you, you ever notice that? Check it out now. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's the first thing out of the gate with the Psalms. The word blessed means your life's gonna be better. There's gonna be favor on there. And you know what this says? You hang out with wicked people and your life will not be blessed. That's what that says. It's the very first sentence in all of the Psalms. The book of Proverbs has these jewels of wisdom all throughout it. Let me show you one of the things it says in the Proverbs. Chapter 13, verse 20. Check this out. He who walks with the wise grows wise. You can be smart, you want to be wise, hang out with wise people. Watch this. But a companion of fools suffers harm. You want to know why a lot of times people have problems in your life? Because you're hanging out with fools. Somebody tell me I'm right, okay? That's exactly what God is saying. Be careful about harmful relationships. You get into the New Testament, you go into the church of Corinth, and, and this church had all kinds of goofy, crazy stuff going on in their church, and a lot of times it was because they were involved in relationships they should not have been involved in. They just shouldn't have. Notice how Paul says it in words that you might not even have known were in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look what he says. You must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Look at this sentence. With such a man, do not even eat. Stay away from harmful people. Stay away from harmful, toxic relationships. Stay away from those relationships. 
And later on in the Corinthian thing, he brings up a phrase that I think we ought to tattoo on the forehead of every middle school kid eternally. Bad company corrupts good character. Is that as true as true can be? Huh? So here's what the Bible says, okay? We're going to end this when we're done here. We're going to end with why it's so important that there are Christian relationships in your life. But in order to get there, we gotta understand that there's some relationships that you might be dealing with that you can't deal with. Because if you've got crazy, harmful relationships in your life, you know what's gonna happen? You're going to what? Anybody know? Drift. And there are folks, some people online might be watching this right now saying, man, I've drifted. And you're thinking about it, and you drifted because of that nut you're hanging out with. A crazy person that you allow them to have a part of your life. And the Bible comes out and says, you just, you just can't have that. I think there's going to be some people this weekend that come to Eastside Christian Church that are going to walk out of here. And for the first time in their life, they're going to be freed from that because they know God is saying, you just, you just can't have that. You can make a switch in your life about that. Now, I want to talk to you about another type of relationship. It's kind of, a, it's kind of a distant cousin to the first one. I call it a hopeful relationship. And I think harmful and hopeful are cousins. I'm going I'm to show you this in a minute. Let me tell you a story about a hopeful relationship I had a long time ago. And uh, I was a young kid. I was probably, I don't know, 16, 17. And I had come to Jesus and uh, was, was just on fire with the Lord as a young man. And I became very, very close to the preacher of the church that I went to. So I'm just a, you know, a high school kid, and man, I just adored my preacher. His name is Curtis Cox, and I would not be here on this stage right now were not for Curtis Cox. Incredible impact in my life. And I just fell in love with this guy as a high school kid, and I hung out at the church, man, throughout the week. I'd go to church, and I'd hang out with Curtis and uh, sit down and have coffee with Curtis and talk. I just loved doing that. That's why I've got an affinity for something that's been happening here at Eastside over the last, I don't know, three, four, five years, is we got, we got high school kids in our high schools around here that they hang out here. And if that sounds kind of crazy to you, I, I want you to know it's true. I mean, they get done with school, and they come here, and they hang out here. They ask our staff anything we can do. Can we help you out with anything? They just hang out here. I look at those young people, and, and some of them become interns here, and some of them went on to Bible college, and I look at them and say, man, that was me, okay? I was a great time of my life. And so one day I go to church, and I'm just hanging out with Curtis, and uh, he said, uh, hey, get in the car. I said, all right. So we get in his car. I don't know where we're going. And we start driving out in the country. And he tells me there's this lady had come to our church and uh, she'd got a hold of him. She had some questions about becoming a member of the church. And so he said, well, I'll come out and visit you. And so he was going to go out and visit this lady. And he said, now she's got a young girl that's in high school. She goes to different school than you do, but she's a young girl in high school. And so I'm going to talk to the mom. And, and, and if the girl's there, I want you to take her outside or something. I'm going to go in a different room. And I want you to win her to Jesus. That's what he said. I want you to win her to Jesus. And I'm sitting in the, in the pastor's seat, and I looked at my preacher, and I said this. <laughs> I said, what's she look like? <laughs> and he looked at me like, what is wrong with you? And he said, it don't matter what she looks like, man. And I said, well, how do I do that? I don't know what I'm doing. And he said, 
You just let her see what's going on inside of you. Now, I, I wish I could tell you what happened. I, I vaguely remember uh, talking with this girl. I, I can't remember what happened after that, but I remember a heaviness on that evening that I think sent me on a trajectory in my life about who I am and what I did for the rest of my life. And that was the conviction that I've got to have some people in my life who do not know Jesus, watch this, and hopefully, hopefully, they can find the Jesus that I have found. And it's my job to do that. And I came under this conviction that I've gotta have those people in my life. Now watch this, this is very, very important. In fact, I kinda of wanna make this point and go home, okay? Because it's that big, but, but I can't because I haven't got to the point yet. But, but watch this, watch this. Harmful people and hopeful people are both non-Christians. You see that? Harmful people are just a mess and they're crazy and they're taking you, doing things and ruining stuff. Hopeful people, man, you're hoping they come to know Jesus. And, and so we're saying stay away from harmful people, but you gotta have hopeful people in your life. And you, you say, okay, well, how do I know the difference of that? It is really easy to know the difference. Here's the difference, look at it here. And I want you to, I want you to take this with you. In harmful relationships, they are influencing me toward evil. In hopeful relationships, I am influencing them toward good. You see? And so who's leading who? And so if you're in circles of non-Christian people and they're your friends and they are leading you, that's a problem. But if you're leading them, there's some hope there. And the Bible talks about how critically important it is that you have those people in your life. And so you're not gonna walk out of here this weekend and say, man, at Eastside, they told us to have nothing to do with Christian people. That's not what I said. I said they have nothing to do with crazy people, okay? Harmful, toxic relationships. Don't let those hurt you in your life. What I'm saying is that you get involved in relationships with people that don't know the Lord, but understand your goal is for you to lead them, not for them to lead you. You get that? Somebody say amen to that. You understand that? That's a big difference. And the Bible has all kinds of examples about that. And uh, let me just throw a couple to you. Cornelius was a really big guy in the uh, New Testament. He was the very first non-Jew to become a Christian, okay? Not for Cornelius. We're all home watching TV right now, okay? And so he is the first non-Jew. And when they came to him to talk about Jesus at his house, notice what he did. Cornelius was expecting them. Who's them? They were gonna come talk about Jesus. And had called together his relatives and his close friends. Those were his hopeful relationships. Hey, come on, I want you to see the Jesus that I'm learning about. In the second Corinthian letter, Paul kind of unfolds God's plan of reaching the world. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Listen, listen. If you know Jesus, watch this. Do you know what God's plan is to reach the world? You. You. And so the only way to do that is to have hopeful relationships in your life. Just be careful that they're not harmful relationships in your life. Now, I tell you all that to kind of get to what I want to talk about, and, and we're going to do this, this quick this evening, so don't worry too much about it, is I want to talk to you about helpful 
relationships. These are the relationships that we want in your life that God says, put those in your life, attach yourself to them, and you won't drift. But if you don't have these in your life, you'll be like the single board, okay? You're on your own. And so we need relationships that are helpful. And I'm not, I'm not saying helpful in the sense that somebody will come and mow your lawn for you, okay? That's not what I mean. I'll let harmful people come mow up my lawn if they want to, okay? Come on, knock yourself out. That's not what I'm saying. Helpful relationships When we define it in the context of what we're talking about, we are talking about people who can help me in my walk with Jesus. We're talking about Christian friends. Now this kind of came out to me in my study, and and I want you to know that I I really try to do that, gang. I I don't always do good with this, I really don't, but I, I try the best I can every single week when it's my responsibility to preach, is I wanna find out in here what God has to say about a topic so I can share with you what I have discovered that God has said. I mean, I, I bleed for that every week. And so when I'm diving into this this week into my study, I am struck in a way that I, I have not noticed before about how many times God has communicated in his word that my plan for you, please hear me, my plan for you is to be connected with other Christian people. That's how God designed it for us. And there's a reason why he designed it for us. He didn't want any boards out there floating on their own. He he wants those boards stacked up with each other in Christian friends I'm going to show you where it happened. Last week, if you were with us, we, we dove into this idea of going back to the very first church in Jerusalem in 30 AD, and we said, man, what's going on with them, and how were they doing it when they first started, and that's how we ought to be doing it, and we talked about how they gathered together for worship, so last week we talked about that. Well, this week I want to go back to that again, and I want to show you, we're going to read through probably four, five, six verses, and I want to show you how God is meticulously teaching us that they had relationships with each other, Christian relationships. They had Christian friends. Let me show you some of these things that come up. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, last week we did that and we stopped it right there. That was sermons, man. They were devoted to that, came together to worship. We talked about that last week. But notice what else he said. And to the fellowship. You see that? Not only the apostles' teaching, but they were devoted to the fellowship. And the fellowship was this. It was Christian people. They were devoted to it. I want you to hear this. Their Christian friends weren't just acquaintances. Hey, I see you at church once in a while. No, they were devoted to tight, meaningful relationships. God designed it that way. Notice a few verses later, you've got, you've got this sentence that comes up. And we looked a little bit of it last week also. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they praised God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They got along with each other. We're talking about friends who enjoyed life. It wasn't just that they went to church together. They did fun things together. They lived their life together. Notice this next phrase. 
And this makes all the sense to me in the world. In the 47th verse, the second part of it. Check the next one out. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Don't miss the power of that. This is talking about hopeful people. That hopeful people saw the relationships that helpful people had, and they said, man, I want to be a part of that. And it was happening every single day. Can I tell you something we hear a lot in our church? We hear about people who come into our services on Thursdays and Sundays, and they just come in because they've heard about Eastside or they drove by or somebody invited them and they come in here and they watch how you guys intermingle with each other and they say, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to have that. And that was happening there. That because Christians had Christian relationships, non-Christians said, man, we want to be a part of that. We advance to the fourth chapter, which is probably a couple months later, historically. The church has grown from 3,000 people to, in the fourth chapter, we have 5,000 men. It probably went from about 3,000 to 10,000 people in Jerusalem. And we have this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. How does that happen with 10,000 people? How do you get 10,000 people to agree with anything? What's the chances they all root for the same team? What do you think? None, okay? What's the chances they all vote the same way? What do you think? None. What's the chances they all have the same economic status? None. 10,000 different people who were of one heart and one mind, they were unified. Why? Watch this. Because their commitment to Jesus was more important than anything that would divide them. See, Jesus is the issue there. I think about our church, and I believe that about Eastside Christian Church. We are a place of great diversity, okay? But there's unity here. And how can there be unity when there's such diversity? I mean, just kind of look around. There are, there are old and young in this room, and there's male and female, and light skin and dark skin, and we joke about this. We got Hoosier fans, Cards fans, Cats fans. We got Democrats, Republicans. We got good-looking people and some people that are struggling a little bit, and we got... We got hungry people and well-fed people, and we got people with PhDs and people with common sense, and we got all kinds of goofy stuff going on. And so how in the world can we be unified? How in the world does that happen? Watch, because what we think of Jesus is more important than what we think of anything else. And so, so God says you have to have those kinds of relationships in your life. I designed it that way. Acts chapter four, verse 34, I think is the most amazing sentence in the entire Bible. There were no needy persons among them. 10,000 people in an impoverished area and nobody needed anything. How in the world does that happen? They took care of each other. See, what we're trying to say, the thing that I want you to go home with, and I want you to kind of filter this and think, how in the world can I make this happen? Is that God has designed your faith 
to exist in relationships with other people with the same faith. You need Christian friends in your life. And if you don't have Christian friends in your life, gang, the likelihood of drifting is incredibly high. But if you've got those friends, if you've got those boards stacked together, if you're anchored to that thing, then the likelihood of lasting for the entirety of your life is equally as high. I saw that happen last weekend. I want to tell you about that, and uh, we'll get out of here. I didn't know I was going to see this last weekend, and uh, anyway, let me tell you the story. We have a unique, I think, a unique situation in our family where we have Unique in the sense that I, I consider it a blessing, okay? That's what I mean by that, is that we have gotten to know very well through the years the friends of our kids. And part of that, because we didn't let harmful relationships exist in our family and with our kids. You're not hanging out with him. You're not asking her out. And so what we, what we ended up with is that we got to know the friends of our kids through the years, and we've watched all those kids grow up, and they're now young adults, and we, we're very, very close to all those, all those kids. And, and one, of our, one of our kids' friend uh, got married uh, last weekend, and so we went to the wedding. And he's kind of one, you know, kind of a buddy of ours, you know. He's a good, tight friend with, with one of our kids. And we've been to a lot of those weddings. And so it's kind of a joy to sit back there and, you know, one of our kids' friends get married and <laughs> I ain't got to pay for it. So we, we love going to those things. And, you know, they look at us as, you know, mom and dad Hastings. And we just, we've just had a number of those things. And so last week when he went and uh, Andrew was getting married and um, Andrew's last name is Ping, and there's, there's an answer, there's a reason for that that I'm going to tell you in a minute. And so uh, Andrew Ping was getting married, and uh, his friend of one of my, my, my kids, and we just, we love him to death. And so one of the things we love in those weddings, and you do too, is after the wedding at the reception when their friends get up and talk about them, you know. And for the guys... Uh, often it's the groomsman, you know, the groomsman uh, gets up there, the best man, and he has something to say. But for some reason, these kids, there's probably six, seven, eight of them that got to know each other in college, and man, they are tight as brothers today. When they get married, and we've been to a lot of their weddings, they all talk. They all have something to say. And most of the time, we're falling off the chair, laughing, gut-busting stories that nobody knows about. And you're, some of them, you're going, oh, I didn't even know that. And so y'all you, been there. Y'all been there, okay? And so one of the guys was talking last weekend about, about Andrew, and, um, and he said something. He told a story about him. And when it was over with, I went up to him, and I shook his hand, and I said, dude, I'm telling that story in my church. And he said, whoa. So he got up there and, and he, he said, um, he goes, we've always called him Ping. That's his last name, Ping. And he told three, four, five stories and people were laughing and everything else. And, and uh, then he kind of got quiet. And he said, now everybody calls you Ping 
And he says, but you know, us, the tight buddies, because you know us, we got another name for you. And everybody in the room is thinking, this is either going to get filthy or, you know, we're going to hear something we don't want to hear. And uh, he, he points a ping and says, and you know we got another name. And this guy speaking starts, you know, getting that lip quivering a little bit. And then other people are kind of quivering a little bit. And it's becoming emotional and um. I'm sitting there, and I'm wiping tears away, and Susan said, what are you doing? I don't even know why. (laughs) And then he starts to tell him about the other name. And he said, I want everybody in the room to know that we used to play three-on-three basketball uh, together at college. And um, he said, Ping wasn't really very good. And everybody kind of, ha, 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 ha. And he said, we would we'd be getting spanked in a game, and we'd call timeout, and we'd get over in our little circle of three, and, and Ping would put his arm around us, and he would say, we can win this game, man. We can do it. We can make this happen. Don't be quick now. We got this thing going, man. And he went on and on about it. And he said, by the time Ping quit talking, man, they felt like they were ready to take on the Warriors, Okay. And he looked around the room and he said, and and a lot of us in this room now, um, we knew each other at college and now we're married, man, and life is busy and we're starting to have kids and kids are involved in stuff and, and, and we got work, man, and work is demanding and we're just so busy now, we're so busy and, and now it's hard for us to get together like we used to. And you could tell some of these kids, man, they were starting to kind of sense the heaviness of that, that life was getting so busy that they couldn't get together. And he said, and it's harder now when one of our kids has a birthday, man. Some of us can't get there because we got something going on. And and they get together and have the big, you know, the big friends giving people have now. And they have this blow. He goes, "And and that's getting harder for us to do now. And he goes, and all of us in this room know that it is ping." Who calls us all. Dude, she turns three one time in her life. Get to the party. Dude, whatever you got to do, if you got to quit your job, then quit your job. We're coming to Friendsgiving, man. And he said, you all in this room call him Ping. But for us... He's our glue guy. He's the glue guy. And he holds us all together. And you can call him Ping if you want. We call him the glue guy. And God paints the picture of what he wants people who know his son Jesus to be and what he wants them to do and and what he says in the painting is you need a glue guy 
and you need a glue girl. And you probably need more than one. And somebody needs you to be one. And if you'll figure that out and stay attached to that anchor of family, the chances are you will be strong all the way to the end. But if you try to board it alone, irrefutable, you will drift. Father God, I, I want to pray. Um, I'll pray a couple things this weekend. I want to be the voice of folks in this room who while I've talked to, they know, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And they have those rock-solid Christian relationships in their life that have held them together and, and has been the glue of their faith. And on behalf of everybody who's in this room this weekend who has that, I want to thank you for that. I praise you for that. I thank you for the people in my life. But there's some people in this room and they'll be here this weekend that would give everything they have for one glue guy, one glue girl. Would you take the lonely and would you bring them help? And I pray that in the name of Jesus.